same old trouble villains always knocking at the door pretty pictures on the page but nothing ever stays the same thank you vandello and welcome once again to graphically novel my name is josh wasta aka fallout fieri and with me as always is the a train to my Huey's girlfriend, Robin. Ah, uh, dude. Couldn't, couldn't it be anybody else? Like, Coming at you. Both people. Yeah, right. <laughs> and with <It's> us, Bear. <laughs> and with us, as usual, is the lovely and talented Baronessa. Thank you very much. And I get to introduce someone this time around. Yay! This whole season. Yay! Except for Atomic Blonde. With us this time is Troy Esman, who has lots to say about our comic today. Troy, you came very, very prepared. Yes, I did. I I created many notes. (laughs) Generally, with our guests, we are going to be doing, by the way, The Boys, which I'm going to take a quick moment to say, kind of a season one Hall of Fame is The Boys, because it takes two of our favorite comics from season one. You got Garth Ennis, who we talked about. In depth for the Preacher episode, yes. which was Indeed. just Bear and I. And then talking about Derek Robertson, who was the artist for Happy. Yes. Which Jen was very happy, happy with. Happy about. <laughs> and it, it shows in here. The artwork in here is amazing. Right. <laughs> also, again, a plug, as I always do whenever Derek Robertson comes up, for Transmetropolitan, which is my favorite comic book of all time. I just got to yes. read that again earlier in the week. I'll post a picture later, but it was basically me, a glass of bourbon, and a pack of cigarettes, and just realizing how much I hate the world. That may be the best way to read Transmetropolitan. It, it really was. It all, was. All really you need is a two-headed cat smoking unfiltered Russian cigarette. Right, right. Fortunately, we didn't have any of those. I could have stuck a cigarette in the stuffed pheasant that was on the mantle of the fireplace, but <laughs> I figured that was probably going a bit too far since it wasn't my house. <laughs> So, Troy, yes. why don't we get into your background a little bit with comic books? We generally ask everyone, how did you come to them? What are the, is your relationship with them? I first got introduced to comic books back in the 80s at my local drugstore, which is where I got them, for Oakleaf Comics opened up in Cedar Falls. Cut my teeth on the original Transformers from Marvel. Oh, Nice. Man after my own heart. Yep. And after that, I got into... Probably coming soon. Yep. Started in with the the Spider-Man crossover, which they denounce and say it never happened because they don't want those universes crossing over anymore. Oh, right. The Spider-Man Transformers. Correct. Issue yeah, 3, yeah. where the uh, Venom-suited Spider-Man makes an appearance. From there, it spread out into Marvel and DC, and I got really into DC for a while. Chuck Dixon, before he went crazy, was my main writer to go to. Turned out he wrote pretty much everything I liked in DC at that time. So there's an interesting DC connection that I want to bring up. Your wedding cake. What was the topper for you and Kat's wedding cake? The topper that we had was completed by a friend of ours, but it included Barbara Gordon dressed as Batgirl and Dick Grayson dressed as Nightwing. (laughs) Nice. Yep. Troy and Kat, in a lot of ways, are the people that I go to for most things DC, as we have covered on this show. Unless it's Vertigo. But... Right, right. Well, it's yes. Vertigo. Most things DC, as we have covered, are not generally 
at the top of our list, but we're changing our minds on a lot of stuff. So we have Swamp Thing coming up. Oh, forgot about that. Which, we have one more episode of we're, that to get through. We have so much to say about that. <laughs> I have so much to say about that. Well, I have lots to say about that. <laughs> I, I have to go back and start taking notes. I don't know if I can watch the series again and take notes off of it, but at least I'll take some notes off the comic. It gives us an excuse to drink. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Current comic books, what are your faves? Go back the last five years. What would you recommend out of the last five years? I'm going to say last five years, wow, it was really hard to go back there at some points because New 52 is when they really, in my opinion, threw things on their ear and it just kind of took a left turn where they were trying to bring in all the young generation and revamping all the characters. Otherwise, I would say that I've always Dick Grayson fan. I've been following that. Kind of lost track of him in the New 52 simply because, as my wife would say, they completely redid Batgirl and completely redid how she did, which changed her interaction with Dick and the whole Bat family. But Is that when she shows up and suddenly she's in college? Yeah, they, they put her back in college. Her back was fixed. And then she decided to burn everything, cut all of her ties, and go off on her own. We are talking about the boys, so let's get back into that. The first thing that I'm going to ask, is this a more realistic Justice League? Ooh. I would have to say that it is from the point of view that these are people that have been raised in today's modern society as opposed to the 60s, 70s, or, or even the 50s. Or even the 50s. They're definitely if you go back to Superman. Right. True. They're way more Gen X. And more recent than that, they have a lot more of their own personal issues they're dealing with as opposed to the looking out for others. So I would say if you were to take the modern Justice League and mold them through today's standards, that you'd be closer to this. Especially if you cut out the whole doing it for the right reasons. Right. Which you find out very quickly they are not. No, no they are not. Well, it's also kind of a combination of corporate corporations do to society. A lot of the motivation is based on money and sponsorship and... Right. And ratings. And ratings, yeah. For those who are nerds, who is everybody at this table, <laughs> I got a real big Slay Industries vibe Ooh, off of... Good yes. reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Off of this group of superheroes. Because, yes, you're doing the jobs... To get famous, to get on the news, to get better sponsorship. Right. To get better jobs, right. which gets right. you better, yeah. more news coverage, right. and yeah. Right. So these are the Slay operatives at the top of their game. We haven't yeah. quite gone into Shadowrun, but we're approaching it. We're yeah. getting there. I well, mean, you know, give, our, give reality ten more years. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely Slay Industries, because all of your superheroes are basically the Stomas. That's true. <laughs> they're, all, they're all just people getting pumped full of drugs. That's true. Troy, you had a whole list of things. What's one of your first conversation starters? I would say one of the first things that I wrote down in my notes here, as far as the difference between the two and how they were portrayed, is media coverage. Because it's been 20 years since Garth Ennis wrote this, and technology has advanced a lot since then. Like in the comics, it's more about the comic books that are based on all the heroes and how they're viewed in not even movies, just their public appearances, what they're pushing for, that kind of thing. In the Amazon series, it's more about what are they vlogging about? What are what is the media coverage on? Or what are they saying on Facebook and all the it's instant feedback. It's Right. Who not, do they need to silence? Correct. Right. There's much more of a need for the PR people to be on top of things because they don't have time to control what the information is, they have to control the media. And in the comic, they address that, but they do it more in that 20 years ago grassroots kind of way because the agents show up to talk to Huey 
Correct. And that scene is a lot more impactful, I found, in the comic than it is in the series, even though it's it's a similar kind of conversation. The one in the comic was more, we need to wine and dine and fast talk you to sign this. Correct. And I think that's mainly because 20 years ago, if people showed up, it was a much bigger, meaningful appearance of those individuals than to just get a phone call or I am by today's standards. It showed they were trying to have a human element to them. Or they felt this was important enough that a person had to show up to deal with this. Yeah, I agree. Well, also in the comic, the press conference to the blackmailing in the book to say, okay, this is the sacrificial lamb for this. They had a press conference rather than, as you said, having PR people who are constantly monitoring all media that's out there. Someone on a blog or a Facebook post or a tweet or what have you. And they have to get their hands around that rather than being able to control what the public sees with a press conference. Yeah. And because everyone now has phones with cameras on them and access to social media 24-7, there just can't be the level of control that they had when right. this was originally written. Right. Right, which ultimately tends to be kind of an undoing thing in the show. Right. Is their facade starts to slip in places where people can record those things. So there's more of a an underground knowledge of the truth about these the seven. Yes, and I think the way they've spun it in the Amazon series just makes sense for where technology is. It's really the only explanation of how they could pull it off now. We've discussed that uh, about a lot of things that we talk about, like older comics and how would you adjust that to the new world and i think we have not done it yet but watchmen's a good example of that Watchmen v for vendetta right how would you update those things v for vendetta they just ignored it entirely they made it a period piece that happened in this future that had spun off of a certain point where you are not allowed that technology. But Watchmen is, I would be fascinated, and I have not watched the new Watchmen. Oh, HBO. I want to see that oh, so I bad. Yeah, I like, just got I, HBO so we could watch I am probably going to subscribe to HBO just so I can watch that. Well, and catch up on three other shows, too. Westworld but, and Westworld, yeah. Ballers. <laughs> Ballers, you know. Oh, yeah. As we record this, the brand new Fast and Furious novel <laughs> trailer has dropped. Oh, and sweet Jeebus. It is more ridiculous than you ever would believe. If you make me watch another one of those, we're going to watch the rest of Sharknado, I swear to God. (sighs) Well, I do have to watch the Sharknados that have Chris Jericho. Yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was extremely disappointed that the first Sharknado, there was no Chris Jericho. So, Bear, Mm -hmm. I give you as offering Josh to watch Sharknado. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, honey. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm very kind. I, I... I, I give you as offering to Josh for watching Fast and Furious. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed in this read-through, and maybe I missed it in the series because it's not as pronounced. In the series, are they funded by the CIA? They are their own. In the From TV series? The t- in yeah, the TV in the, series. In the show, they start. They are not funded by the CIA. Yeah. I believe the butcher tries to make a deal. Right. To get funded, I don't think it really gets a chance to take off from the ground. In the Amazon series, no, they are not funded at all. He tries to get it in the comic book. They start pretty much being funded by the CIA. Right. Both of them have it where the the boys originally started as a CIA operative group. Right, because in the TV series, they're fast-forwarding to this group has existed 
and something has happened. Correct. Right, and they do allude to some relationship with the government entity, but they don't tie it directly. Yeah, well, they get into it a little bit later on in in the TV series that they're going to be going back to Because I remember there was at least one scene where they were talking about making a deal with the CIA. It's been a while since I've watched it now, but I'm sure they're tying it in somehow that way. Okay. Uh, Yeah, with the director, Rainer. Yes. Right. Yeah. Who, (laughs) in the comic... Butcher's nailing. Yes. <laughs> the show basically hammers it home in the episode, like, I think it's the last one, where Mallory makes mm-hmm. an appearance. Mm-hmm. They go to see Mallory, and Mallory pretty much says, I used to be in the CIA. I had to leave the CIA. And Butcher pretty much says, you formed this team, and you know from the way they've been building that Frenchie and Mother's Milk were both in the unit with Butcher and Mallory, because they all refer to Mallory. Right. right. And the incident with the lamplighter. Which, it's also, just because of the name, it's hard for me not to make her into Mallory Archer. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have well, been shocked if this was inspiration. And, oh, yeah. And after reading, yeah, absolutely. After, and after reading the comic, comic and how book. she looks. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Like that. I'm pretty sure they stole that in Archer from this. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Mallory Archer went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's write that show. That would be amazing. There we go. Yeah, the crossover of the boys and Archer. Oh, oh God. Man. That's going to be awesome. Completely different flavors on that one. Do you want superheroes? Because this is how you get superheroes. <laughs> yes. Blarneycock, why are we no longer using phrasing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who does not appear in the show at all? It wasn't so much that I had an issue. I was just like, are you serious? Did you just run out of clever ideas and that's all you could come up with? So speaking of the other heroes, I think that was another one of your notes. The differences between the comic and the show is there. there was an entirely other superhero team. The show talks about the group Teenage Kicks, where they say A-Train and, was it Mesmer, were both members of it. In the comic, A-Train comes from it. Mesmero is not in the comic at all, that I recall. But he's introduced for the show. But yeah, Teenage Kicks is kind of like the Young Justice, the Teen Titans to the Justice League. The New Warriors, if you're Marvel. And that's the other thing, you know, that... They kind of talk about in the show that Vought owns like 200 heroes across the globe. Mm-hmm. And I think they're setting the seed for a lot of the groups that the first trade doesn't really talk about except Teenage Kicks. But there's they definitely drop some other names as they go through it. So future seasons, we're going to start getting introduced to more of the teenage groups. Right. I really want to see this series last long enough for them to go wandering off to Russia like they do in yes. yeah. what was it, the third yes. graphic novel or something? Yeah, the third graphic novel is where they go to Russia. <clears throat> that was amazing. Well, right, ah, because... so you've read ahead. I read ahead. You know why? Because I'm at Troy's place at least one day a week. So In this TV series, they really only started taking a look at the young Americans and referenced Tina. I don't remember them actually calling Teenage Kicks by that name. They do when they have the memorial thing on the TV. Uh, Former uh, member of Teenage <clears throat> Kicks. And, okay. Right. And they also have Mesmero basically has a shirt that says Teenage Kicks on it when he's doing his signings. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And talks about how there's several references to how they were on the same team together before A-Train came up to the 7. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember when Popclaw and A-Train were talking that they used to work together. But yes. She was also on Teenage Kicks. Right. They didn't specifically say that name no. during those conversations. And so... 
as someone who had not read the graphic novels, I was a little confused because I'm like, okay, well, was she one of the seven and then got kicked out? And because that was a little confusing trying to figure out how. Yeah, because they, they haven't named any right. other superhero right. groups other than the seven. Right. Right. Yeah, a name drop probably would have helped there. And for all we know, maybe they did just got cut. So I've got two more questions. You've got three pages of notes. So. <laughs> Lay it on us. I think the next question, the next topic needs to be brought up because this is something that a lot of people that have read the comic and watched the show bring up immediately is where is terror? Butcher's Dog. Butcher's Dog. That's when I was just actually flipping through the comic to look up. I was like, we need to talk about terror. Yes. No, terror has to be talked about because in the show, he's only in a flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is yes, not present uh, in the present. Wasn't there, I want to say there was a scene somewhere in the show where they just showed the dog tag sitting on his dresser or something like that. Like, I'm not sure about that, like but his I know. collar or something. Oh, the, no, I do remember that. If that yeah. dog died that. in a flashback and Keanu Reeves doesn't show up as John Wick. Oh, I'm my God. Really true, true. I That's mean, the new rule for media. You kill a dog, John Wick shows up. I can't. Say that wouldn't be an interesting series of movies to watch. <laughs> John Wick's avenges all the uh, dead dogs in yes. the right? like comic universe. Stan Lee pops up in yeah. cameos. It's just, you kill a dog, John Wick. Does John Wick show up in your Full Metal Alchemist meme then, or what? Ooh. Yes! Yeah. Wow, so no, that would be fantastic. Scar's going to be suffering for that one. Right? <laughs> Because I was watching it through this morning. Is the initiation of Starlight is handled mm. a little differently. Mm-hmm. In the show than in the comic. Yes. And better in the show. I agree. Because you could pin it on one dude. Well, well, not just pinning it on. It's a lot less horrific. Right. It's still a terrible, horrible, really gross Gross. thing. But it's not a gang rape. Right. And it's also not one of the main characters. It's kind of one of the expendables. Well, the Aquaman. Which, yeah. they very much make him the Aquaman, yeah. and he's joke, because yeah. he's Aquaman. And the thing that I like with that character, with the Deep, is in the comic, he's pretty much all the way through, he's a background character. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't really, he chimes in with, with some stuff here and there, but yeah. there's no real depth to him other than he shows up. Right. right. And he thinks he's incredibly tough. Right. But in the Amazon series, he is a fully developed character. He has flaws. He has an arc. Right. By the end of the first season, I watched it, and the people that watched it with me are like, I want to see more of this character. Yeah. I want to see where this takes us. And I think it has one of the most powerful moments in the series in it where a male character is raped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. basically gets it done straight back to him. Right. And having watched it, I was just as uncomfortable the first time and the second time watching that scene. Right. Yeah. And I think they handled it well by showing that he clearly no longer wanted anything, right. and he was forced to. So I think they're going to try an arc with him where they may try and flip that over, and he gets a story of overcoming it and confronting right. it. Maybe some right. kind of redemption, yeah. I right. think they're going to head him in the direction of redemption at yeah. some point. I was actually, before having not gotten any spoilers from any of you guys on this, <laughs> overwhelmed at the amount of sexual innuendos, sexual references, sex in general, and sexual situations involving rape, involving friends with benefits, involving prostitution, involving... Bestiality. Bestiality. Oh my god. Spoiler alert for the comic book. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's gonna happen. Listen, if you're not comfortable with sex, 
maybe you might want to read with if caution. You, if you have a trigger warning, like any of them, this comic will probably hit happen. all of them. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. If you make it over halfway to that comic and it hasn't triggered stuff for you, you're good. Listen, we didn't tag well, okay. this one. You're not good. You probably should see someone. Well, yeah. you got at least uncomfortable halfway through the first comic. Oh my god. First graphic novel. Yes. So yeah, yeah, halfway through is where you're going to encounter the most awful of the new initiation of Starlight. If you have boundary issues, may want to proceed with caution reading this. I'm surprised that we didn't go as far as using a, an explicit tag on this one because, wow, yeah. it's pretty nuts. Well, nobody has dropped... Right, we're like we're an being actual good. language, <laughs> which apparently in our North American culture, that's are, the only that's thing the that, only thing that counts. For. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> but something that I really appreciated that the TV series mirrors the comic is how Starlight goes through coming from Des Moines, Iowa. And joining the Seven and what she has to do to become part of their product. I will say for being one of the focal characters in the comic, I was surprised how well they really stretched her out and made her more of a main character in the show. Exactly. Because she's there from the very beginning in the mm-hmm. show. In the comic, she doesn't even show up till... Probably about a third of no, the way. Well, is she two or three? Yeah. Like, yeah. is really when she... And it's like, basically, you're joining the Seven. There's not much of her before Where she came from. No, and it seems to be more of that the show is using more of a Huey and a Starlight parallel, mm-hmm. showing the two of them yes. as they both get introduced to these things, being unfamiliar with the world as a whole of how things are working. Which I wouldn't be surprised 20 years later, because I know Garth Ennis is also a consultant right. on the show. If he was learning from his mistakes, because he's also a consultant on Preacher. Right. And Preacher has done a lot of those same parallels. He paces it a lot better than the comic originally Mm -hmm. was. Yes. He has the freedom and the luxury of being able to go, I know what the entire story is, what are my main points that I'm trying to make, and helping the show to stick to those, and then allowing them to kind of fill in the details they want while he keeps the pacing. Right, absolutely. makes a better story. Right. Well, something that I noticed that was interesting in the TV show as opposed to the comic, and maybe the comic as as I move forward, because to answer your later question, yes, I will definitely read more of this. In the TV show, you see Huey and Annie, or Starlight, and who they are as kind of insignificant and not very strong people, and but you see them in the show how events that happen to them or happen around them because of the soups and how that shapes them and who they become throughout the series. And I found that really interesting and a little lacking in the graphic novel, but I can see a little bit and maybe I'm going to see more of it the more I read. You will. Okay. I think the difference in that is also how they handled Starlight because you just mentioned... Annie, in the comic, she's Starlight until the park bench where they meet. No. Well, she... No, they, no, Homelander says, who are you when right, you're right, not? Right, right, yeah. right. I get that. Yeah. But I'm saying she is in the costume. She right. is Starlight. Right. Until that bench scene, which is issue four or five. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty far in. Yeah. in. In the show, 
you meet Annie before you know who Starlight is because it's her and her mother talking and right. it's her it's, training. It's the right. whole yes. So you meet Annie, and you get to know who Annie is. Right. In the comic, it's the opposite. You get to know who Starlight the Soup is. But, yes, she's getting inducted into the Seven, but you know her as a superhero. Right. You don't know her as her story. Right. Right. Which is partly why I think they're going to make this into a Huey and Annie story. Yeah. Because it takes them a good number of issues in before they get to that point where they're both willing to stand up for what they believe in. Mm-hmm. It takes a long while in the comics for Huey to come around to that. And I think that's just because there's so much going on. You know, not to spoil things, but there's a whole bunch in the comics that hasn't even been touched upon yet in the series. That Ennis has to take time and fill in the world and paint the world. And he so you can only there, fill in so much. Are there clues, though? Yeah, there are clues. I mean, they dropped the name of Teenage Kicks, which I'm sure, I mean, any people that have read the first TPB know that Teenage Kicks is where the boys cut their teeth in the superhero, making a name for themselves, letting everyone know they're back. They pick Teenage Kicks as the It's definitely where Huey cuts his teeth. Correct. It's where he makes his first kill, Mm -hmm. is in that fight. Not because he chooses to, but because he suddenly has superpowers and doesn't know how to hold back. Right. Ooh, spoiler alert, which is right. one of the things that I wanted to bring up is, my question is, do you think the TV series that they're actually going to, because the use they don't have superpowers, right. they're just regular dudes in the TV right. series. But we start off in comic with everybody but Huey's superpowered. Well, everybody but Huey has access to superpowers. They don't have them naturally. No, they all have taken Compound V before the comic starts. Right. Yeah, which is different because in the TV series, you find out towards the end of the first season that they've basically been IVing this into right. orphans, babies, and that's how we got superheroes. But apparently, if you take it as an adult, you just get super strong, super endurance. And that's about it, which is the basis for the comic book itself. Well, in the comic, it comes up later when they actually talk more about Compound V. Not to give heavy spoilers, but the version of the Compound V that the boys take is a downgraded version of the raw stuff. It's designed only to enhance their normal abilities. So make them stronger, make them faster, make them more resilient. It doesn't give them... That's why none of them can fly or do anything like that. And have any funky powers, yeah. Right, but the trade-off is they only get limited powers, but they don't have the side effects, which is usually a destabilization of the mind or unfortunate accidents where they become like a puddle of goo, which is what both series talks about. Homelander talks about it when he was experimenting with Compound V, that there were many drawbacks and many failures when you give it to an adult. And so, you know, they set the stage where it's possible that they might. If they can get their hands on this stuff and have people analyze it, they might be able to have their own dumbed-down version that just gives them augmented powers. Once you get to the end of Season 1, like, I'm really struggling at this point going, how are they going to deal with Homelander in this blackmailing kind of rage that he's in without superpowers? It just seems, without having some kind of resilience or or strength or something like that, they're not going to be able to fight him. He definitely has the cliffhanger upper hand at the end of Season 1. Yeah. And the thing the comic talks about in the first TPB is when after Teenage Kicks is dealt with, Homelander has a meeting with the Seven where he talks about, we all know who's back. The new members have no idea who he's talking about. He never name drops at that time. But you know there's a history, and uh, Jack from Jupiter, who is not in this series, is replaced by Transcendent. Jack from Jupiter pretty much goes, but wait, I thought after the whole Lamplighter incident, we agreed to basically not fight each other. 
So there's this status quo of they know it's mutually assured destruction if they go after each other, and it, there's kind of a truce as long as neither of the sides start anything. Mm -hmm. That is a prevalent theme throughout the TPBs until it isn't. There's only one way this is going to go, the way Ennis has set it up. So you keep saying TBB. What is TBB? Trade paperback. Okay, thank you. I think that's the first time we've used that term on the show. We generally just say graphic novel, but yes. And the other thing that we should probably point out at that point is there are several versions of trade paperbacks yes. and publications, and they'll have different issues in them. We try to, when we release episodes, put the cover of the trade paperback that we have been reviewing. That's the other thing is no two collections use the same cover art, you'll be able to see that. Or if you want an ISBN, if you're curious exactly which one we do, by all means, shoot us a message through the several ways that you can talk to us. We'll hook you up. Jen will hook you up. I got your ISBN right here. <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about Starlight's induction, which is a rough topic, uh, both in the series and in the graphic novel. The other difference is the way Butcher describes his wife's death. In yes. the series and in the comic, they are very different. Different motivations, different... Drastically different. Yes. Especially in the show, how the season one ends. Yes, which completely diverges from the comic. Yes. I'm going to leave this intentionally vague, but I'm still going to ask the question. That scene in a show. Who? Doing that scene as a flashback to be the last part of season one on why Butcher hates the way he does... Which is the core of his character. Do you go too far into horror territory? I think by today's standards, I think you're crossing a line with that level of visual play. Simply because with a lot of the things that have happened since the comics came out, Garth Ennis was no, is known for shock value. And back then, you could get away with a lot more because people hadn't really tested that and pushed the boundaries. But even Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, it's a story he's telling. Yes. It's not the you don't get panels of what happened. You just get the story from Butcher's mouth. Actually, no. In the comic, further on, mm. Butcher goes into a full-depth flashback. Oh, so they, they panel show. it. Oh. They show it. Okay. It gets a few panels. It's not... As bad? It's not as bad as it could be. I mean, they only show enough to drive home the point of... What is happening and why it affected Butcher? And then they let your brain fill in the rest. Yeah, they're really good mm. at that. That I give them credit for. They they only did as much as they had to to let you fill you, it in. You know what? I'll go back on. I will not spoil it because in the series, what he describes is happening to his wife and what he thinks happened to his wife. He is there when it happens. So it actually happens. Yes. And he witnesses it. So hopefully you've watched the show at this point, and if you haven't, then we've already given you plenty of spoilers. His wife has a super-powered baby that works its way out of her and has heat vision that burns him, which is a really subtle but pretty significant detail. Yes, and in the comic, he has a scar on his hand from that that is there throughout the entirety. And then it... Oh, was it just in his hand? I thought it was in his forearm. Yeah, I thought it was like... Oh, maybe it was in his forearm. I know it was in his arm, because he brought his arm up to defend himself. Right. 
But sometimes you will see it, even in earlier panels before he tells you the story. Right. You'll be able to see Which it. Which goes the whole thing of Ennis had a plan when he started this and mm-hmm. conveyed it to his artist. And they were consistent from day one, which kind of ties into one of my other points that kind of walks down the road of spoilers. But I feel it's necessary to talk about the overarching points that Ennis is making with some of his choices. And I will say that why Butcher picks Huey, at least in the comics, we haven't seen if that's the case in the show yet. But in the comics, Butcher picks Huey for a very specific reason that pays off at the very end. So it's something I'm going to watch the series with and go, I wonder if they're going to go down this road, especially if you said that Ennis is helping them. I can't help but feel he's going to make sure this gets in there because you think in the series you get to the end of what you think it should be and it's not done. Then that's when it comes up as to why it was Huey versus any of the other people that you saw in the survivors of metahuman activity. Right. So this is another thing to bring up. The Boys has ended. The yes. graphic novel series has ended. So that's a little different than a lot of the series that we've talked about on the show, because a lot of them are constantly just going and going and going. I mean, Lucifer just got rebooted, both the show and the comic. Hellblazer goes. A lot of what we have covered either went a long, long time Right. Or did not have the, I call it the anime style, where mm-hmm. you have a beginning and you have an end. Yes. And uh, Transmetropolitan, which I will bring up again, because Derek Robertson, 60 issues. Warren Ellis had a beginning and he had an end, and it's never come back up. Cowboy Bebop had a beginning, had an end. They did a movie to try and appease right. some people, but it's never come back. How Preacher. About Preacher. Had a beginning and had an end. Happy. Happy. One graphic novel. Literally one graphic novel. Watchmen, Viva Vendetta. They're all self-contained stories that the writer had in mind, sold it to the studio, so they weren't part of comic continuity for the, we want to keep it going. Right. And that's why a lot of these artists that we talk about, Alan Moore does that. He did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, so good. I love that. They had to basically toss money at him to do a second Yes. graphic novel, because he was like, I'm done with this. I told my story, what more do I need to do? Right. Yeah, Alan Moore does a lot of it, a lot, a lot of it. And we're going to get a lot of Alan Moore this season. We've already done V for Vendetta, we're going to do Swamp Thing. Thing. I'm going to both love and hate our episode on Swamp Thing, just... <laughs> just to say right. you know. Like, I have enough hate for everyone when we do Teenage Mutant. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be awesome. It's going to be so As great. an update, if you do not follow our Facebook page, Jen has now watched the first movie of the, Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles. Oh, the original the Rubber original. Suits. Okay, rubber, yeah. rubber Suits. And... The first episode of the cartoon, which she actually liked a lot more. You also watched the Ninja Turtles vs. Batman, Batman, which was amazing. I have yet to see that. Oh, so good, dude. Watch it. And as of this recording, we have not watched the Megan Fox starring Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which is the last stop other than the comic. On this road. I don't understand why we have to watch so much of that for that. Because... And not other things. The, I it think the sucks. only reason is just because that franchise has vomited forth so many series and comics and everything from that original. We're way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm sure further down the line in this show, 
as Troy brought up, Transformers will come oh. up. And I'm that <laughs> one's to go. gonna be rough. That's one I'm probably actually gonna go out and buy a bunch of because that was one of the few that well, it was the only comic aside from like Archie and stuff like that that I ever actually subscribed to when I was a kid. Yep. So yeah, I'll be I'll be talking a lot on that one. Yeah. Can we not. just talk for a few minutes about how great the casting was yes. for the for the TV series? It so let's start with the obvious. Uh, if you've read the comic and you have watched the show, Simon Pegg. Yes, yes. because it, well, the whole thing was written, the character yeah. of Huey was written around him. Around him, and he does the introduction yes. yeah. to the graphic novel. Right. Correct. Because I don't remember if he was friends with them, or they just were like, we like you so much, we put you in our comic. The artist basically wanted to make Huey like Simon Pegg, and so they said, well, let's ask him. Right. And so they reached out to him, he goes, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because he knew him from... Uh, some really obscure thing that he did. Oh, and this probably was all... Spaced. Yes, Spaced. Yeah. Yep. Which is and the then, BBC show. And he yeah. was like, yes, of course. And then... Now, the, this uh... is Derek Robertson, post-Transmetropolitan, post a lot of Marvel work. Yes. Where he did, in fact, one of my definitive Nightcrawler graphic novels was Derek Robertson. I believe that he did Nightcrawler... Probably the best that you can do, the Fuzzy Blue Elf. And his solo series was amazing. And it was Derek Robertson who was a big fan and wanted to draw him, but he worked with the writer, and the writer has gone on record as saying half of the stuff that he did for Nightcrawler in that series came from Derek Robertson. It was just such a Nightcrawler fanboy. He was like, I want to draw this, and I want to draw Kurt doing this, and I want to draw him doing this. And then the writer was like, okay, dude, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It says something, when you you have an artist that's inspired by what they're supposed to convey, it's going to only come out with the energy they have for that. Well, and it's how we discussed actors doing the same thing. Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool. Oh, yes. You can tell he loves that character. Yeah. It's why I have... Channing Tatum. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It's why I've endorsed Channing Tatum as Gambit. Is Channing Tatum has gone on record as being like, I've read every comic that Gambit is in. And I love Remy LeBeau, and I want to do this character. And that passion, to me, is first in a lot of these... Provided the actor has the chops to pull it off. Right. And I don't know if Carl Urban is a butcher fanboy, but he sure delivers. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's hard to pick a better character for Butcher. Right, yeah. absolutely. A better actor for Butcher. If you have not seen Carl Urban as Dread. Oh, man. Oh, yes. if you haven't watched Dread, uh, shut this off. No, don't shut this off. Watch, don't shut listen this. to this to Finish the end. This. Finish but this. And while you're doing this, pull open your Netflix account and look up the new Dread, uh, Judge Dread movie, which is just Dread. Not the Stallone one. Yeah, no, not the Stallone one. Watch this one. It's gritty. It's awesome. It's If you see Rob Schneider, you've gone too far. Yeah. Right? <laughs> didn't, didn't he do The Punisher, too? Like, the short? Didn't no, he no, 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 no. That was, was Carl awesome. Urban was Warzone, I believe. No. I may be wrong. No, he wasn't in Warzone. No. No. no uh, that was somebody completely different. Okay. No, I'm trying to remember Thomas who Jane. it was. Thomas, Thomas Jane, Jane was yeah, sorry, in the sorry, original, yeah. the the first Punisher movie, and yeah. then in the short, the best yeah. Punisher movie. Where, well, now, don't get me wrong, I love Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, I, but I, I, I got real sick of watching him kneeling nude in front of weird yeah. shrine, and no, that was 
You know well, I own says that. you. <laughs> I got sick of him. You can watch all you want. You know, running down the rest of the cast, Jack Quaid as Huey Campbell, actually having Simon Pegg in there as... Huey's dead. Huey's yeah. dead. Again, I only read the first graphic novel. Is Huey's dead a character that they added to the show? No, he does appear in the comic. Okay. Briefly, yeah. I mean, you get about halfway through and you get introduced more to his, his family. Okay. And it actually becomes kind of an important piece for later on. Elizabeth Shue, as Madeline Stilwell, does an amazing job. Yes. Like, I've never seen a creepy mom figure done so well. Oh my god. Karen Fukuhara as the female. Mm-hmm. We'll put a pin in that. Remind me of the female. Okay. That won't be hard. Uh, Anthony Starr as Homelander. I, yes. You couldn't have found a more perfect face to put on that character. No, he's got it. He, yeah. He's delivering it exactly how I... Aryan Superman. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there's a character that comes up in the comic that's even more... Oh, no. That's even more <laughs> Aryan Superman than, than Homelander. Uh, Once again, Homelander. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said before, I really want him to get to the part of the comic where they're where in they go Russia. International? Yeah. Where they go international and they go to Russia, because I want to see who they put in as love sausage. I really don't know if... Amazon is going to be able to do that. They ah, oh, come on! How could you not? I mean, not with the visual aspects. They can deliver the character, but it'll be fine. It's he's going to be clothed the whole time. It's not like it's going to be hanging out for everybody. True. Oh, true. No. <laughs> Actually, I haven't read it. Picked up on your non-spoiler spoilers. We'll just say that that Love Sausage is one of my favorite support characters in the entire series. <laughs> Are there more casts that you wanted to discuss? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super familiar with a lot of the rest of them. The guy that did the deep. Yeah. I, did uh, I don't know the actor's name. Chase Crawford. Awesome. Just everybody did good. Like Alaz Alonzo as Mother's Milk. Jesse Usher as A-Train. Yeah. A-Train in the comic, and we discuss a lot of times when race becomes an issue, they were able to change A-Train and it really didn't make... A difference. Honestly, I think little, it made it better. Yeah, it's a little bit more diversity. Well, for... and they were able to then kind of turn that to their advantage with after his leg gets broken. Yes. He goes into that suit shop mm-hmm. and is basically accosted by a security guard saying, you know, why are you here? Right. And it isn't until the people watching and filming it say that's A-Train. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Absolutely. At least they could use that. Yes. Like yes. they can use the diversity to point out social issues. And I think part of the reason they did that with A-Train is because they dropped the teenage kicks, at least we, maybe they'll have it later. You're right. The teenage kicks are a lot more diverse. They're a lot more diverse. But remember, in the comic, the one that the, when they're told you get to pick one or we pick one mm-hmm. who we expose, they pick the African-American gay kid mm-hmm. right to be exposed and i think that's something that they maybe wanted to change up a bit because times have changed a little bit mm-hmm. since right. then it's yeah. not the oh this is our sacrificial lamb it's the that's probably not the route we want to go with that right but then maybe they made the choice they trained so that they could bring this up to kind of keep it relevant to the time so moving back the female very different in the show yes. than the comic. Absolutely. Which version did you guys like more? Because I found her way more terrifying in the comic. <laughs> really? I don't know about that. In the comic, she appears to be completely in control. She's not 
a wild card. She's not an unknown element. She is just savage. I mean, she is incredibly strong and not afraid to do anything. In the show, she is an unknown. They're not really sure where she comes from, why she is the way she is. She doesn't communicate with anyone. She's, she's essentially not, an animal. She, yeah. Well, she develops into a person. Yeah. Well, you know, she yeah, comes when back they to that. Yeah, when yeah. they originally find her, yeah. But in the graphic novel, she's a member of the team. She is her own entity. But in the show, they pull her into the team in, a, I think, a much more organic way. Because the team in the show isn't a team. They were, and they're coming back together. But right. they're kind of reforming. In the graphic novel, it just feels like, oh, yeah, well, we were just kind of doing some other stuff, but we've always been a team. Like, in the show, Butcher had to coerce basically everyone to come back to it, like give yeah. reason for everyone to join the it, team right. again. It very much seems like the TV show was really more forming the team. Yeah, they talk about how they had worked together before, but it really more forming the team that was the precursor in the comic. Right itself. How the team is brought together in the comic versus the show is different. Both versions, three of them have history with each other. Right. But it's clear that something happened and drove them apart, and Butcher basically tricks them back into coming. And you could almost say in the series that Huey is the reason that they kind of cohese right. back together. Right. Because Mother's Milk and the Frenchman are both very much taking Huey under their wing mm -hmm. and trying to shield him from the mistakes they've made in the past. Exactly. Mostly Butcher. Most, yeah. yeah, trying right. to shield him from Butcher, which the comic also does with them. It just yeah. takes longer for you to right. develop that. But you also get the feeling that Butcher is actually somewhat sympathetic towards Huey that you don't get the same feeling for in the TV series. I mean, he actually says to Huey in the graphic novel, I've never had a little brother it'll be nice having you along and really get the feeling in the TV series that Butcher removes himself from the, he is, keeps himself separate from the rest of the team. With the way you were talking about like how Butcher interacts with Huey. Right. So far, the Frenchman and Mother's Milk are having the exact same interactions with him that they had in the comic. Mm -hmm. Butcher seems like you said, a little more distant, a mm -hmm. little less, you're my little brother and yeah. more of, I'm showing you the ropes. Yeah. I kind of stumbled upon you inadvertently, and now you've kind of proven to be an asset. Right. With his ability to do all the spyware and such, mm -hmm. which is a completely different thing from the comic. Right. And we've remarked on this on, say, Umbrella Academy, where the graphic novel is very... I'm interested in it, and I like the characters, but I think that they did an excellent job on the TV show of really opening up those characters and giving them so much more depth than there yes. is in the graphic novel. And to be fair, the graphic novel, we are starting with this one, and I would imagine that Garth Ennis goes into more depth in future issues farther down the road with the graphic novels. And in a TV show, if you start out with kind of characters that are one-dimensional, like they start out with a lot of times in graphic novels, you're going to lose viewership. So that's why they kind of jump right in and developing those characters right away. Yes, and I can say in, in the comics, eventually every member of the boys gets a full little arc of where did they come from, how did they get here? They basically do each one in turn, not necessarily in any particular order, but just you do get that whole development of those characters. You can understand why are they the way they are. A-Train. Yeah. In the comic, A-Train is just 
a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the show, they have him dealing with drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And he has a brother who basically loses faith in him because of his choices and is way more focusing on he's a victim of his own need to always be the best. Right. The comic never talks about anyone as fast as A-Train or even faster. Right. This is a whole new thing they've introduced in the series, I think, to give some of those characters a more human element. Mm-hmm. I agree. In the graphic novel, A-Train is also a white guy. Yes. Right. Which we discussed earlier. Yeah. yeah. That another interesting layer that they've added to the TV show, which I do find interesting in that they are addressing kind of the drug addiction aspect of that character on the TV show that I don't know that that is part of. It wasn't part of what I have read so far. I don't remember anything like that being in the comic. Yeah, the only V was taken by the boys in the comic. Correct. No. And, and people would get no. exposed to it. In the comic. The prostitutes were starting oh, yes. it. Okay, you're right. They were given a very yeah. dumbed-down version right. just to right. la- allow them to survive what, right. ha- what happens right. in the comic. Right. But but super soups are not using it in the comic. Right. Well, right. No, in the comic, once they have their powers, they never really deal with Compound B again. Right. So the show bringing it up as a, yeah, it gave you your powers, and if you take more of it, it enhances them. Right. That's unique just to the series. And I think they did that just to bring in the whole addiction element. Right. Because they talked about how Popclaw used to be an A-lister. Mm-hmm. They never said what team she was on right. or even she even made it to the seven. Right. But she fell from grace because she had an addiction problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And it looked like at a point in there when she takes the drug again, she's trying to recapture her glory days. Mm-hmm. And Popclaw is just more of a bit character that shows up like once in the comic. Right. And then we don't really see her again. One of the other things that's that, that's in the series that is not in the first trade, but does come up in later episodes of the trade, is the character that Ezekiel is in the series, but is based on in the comic. Ezekiel is the superpowered stretch preacher. Right. Who is a pedophile. Right. Yeah. And there's a character in the comic called O Father, who basically does the same thing, and I think Ezekiel's modeled off of him. But since the series did it, I feel we can kind of talk about it in the comic, where it's the whole thing is a basic, we've got a bunch of soups who are all about Christ, mm-hmm. and we want to bring them together to get money. And they do the whole thing, but they don't do the blackmail. It's further along with Homelander's plan in the comic, which the series seems to have jumped right into, which is he wants there to be reasons for heroes to be higher up in the military, right? calling the shots. Which is very much a season one like, right. focus. Right. It, it takes several trades before we get to that point. And at least in the comic, it seems like Homelander kind of comes to this realization as opposed to he's had this the whole time. This is exactly what he's wanted the whole time. And in the comics, it takes a little while for him to go, hey, wait a minute. But they do start to allude to that because they talk about how soups are given a percentage. If there are hostages, there's a percentage of bodies that are allowed before the legal system will step in and take any action. Right. You know, there's already that tone of soups are above the law. They have some collateral damage. Yeah, there's collateral Mm -hmm. damages allowed. There are little to no consequences to what they do. And they do a really good job of that in the TV show. Yes. One of the things that they do in the comic that really is another major difference is the way the heroes are portrayed. Mm -hmm. In the series, the heroes from the opening scene where Queen Mob just shows up and stops the armored truck from hitting two people is something you really don't ever see in the comic. Mm -hmm. You don't really see the seven being heroes. heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It's just you hear about how they used to be and how the comics they were. And, yeah. And that's also the other major differences. In comic, their exploits are portrayed in comics. Not on TV shows, not in movies, mm-hmm. not in streaming services. Straight up, you read the comics, that's how everyone got their information on the heroes. Right. There's a character that hasn't been introduced yet, I don't know if the series will, but gets introduced in the second trade that really is critical to that portrayal. It has to be the comics or this character doesn't work. So I'm curious to see if the series is going to do something along those lines with some kind of central PR figure who's like a Rupert Murdoch or something who actually helps Vought control the media. Because there still has to be an element with all the smartphones out there, how are they keeping... Mm-hmm. some control of this. And I can see that because of the PR woman mm-hmm. that kind of gets kicked around. Right. I can see them coming up with someone who's just like mad because of what they've done. Oh yeah, no, I can totally see that. They've left the themselves week. open in yeah. the series. I commend them for where this can go and the ways they can parallel the rest of the comic series. The character that's coming up should be very interesting and is very critical to the comic that gets introduced in the second TPB. Bears read it and probably knows who I'm just trying to keep my mouth shut. I know, I know, I know. I'm like five graphic novels in and yeah, (laughs) it's amazing. It is. I highly recommend reading it. Even if you love the series and then don't end up liking the comic, I still recommend you read it just to see what Ennis's story was and then see how the show is going to convey that. With 20 years difference, you can't keep it the same. Right. right. Absolutely. Unless right. you're setting it in a period piece, in which case it brings its own difficulties. Right. Like V for Vendetta did. Right. That is in a dystopian future. Well, they can get away with it there. Right. As opposed yeah. to... You can yeah. do. Yeah, right. yeah. I know you've got <laughs> so many more notes, but let's do a couple that you really want to get. Okay. Let's talk about big things. The plane incident. Oh, yeah. In the comic, the plane incident does not happen in the first trade. It happens later. But the fact that the series is using it in the comic, it's where the Seven make their debut as heroes. Oh. And it happens right as 9-11 is happening in the comic. Wow. So it is literally, they're making their debut as heroes on a plane that's been abducted by terrorists that's about to hit the Trade Center. Huh. And it goes about the same. And it's a failure. (laughs) It goes about exactly the same way it goes in the series. Except in the series, it seems more of a Homelander wants to prove himself by being a hero. Queen Mab wants to go along and help him out. And things just go horribly, horribly wrong. As opposed to this needs to happen to increase our... No, no, no. In the comic, the whole thing... uh, Well, I'm talking about in the series. Right. Vought wanted it to increase their PR, which is also what they wanted in the comic. And in both cases, it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. In the comic, they succeed just like they do, except the whole seven is there. And then they realize none of them knows how to fly a plane. So there's no plan other than just do what you do in the comic. The seven are drastically changed because of how that goes. Okay. Interesting. I'm looking forward to reading that. It's a much different portrayal. You get to learn which members of the seven can fly and which ones can't. Ah. And how it becomes very important. (laughs) Real, real important. Well, in the comic, the deep can fly. Hmm. Yeah, Aquaman can swim, y'all. Or can can fly, (laughs) y'all. On the comic, it's important to note that the deep wears like a deep, old, like diving bell, slightly askew. So he never looks straight out from it, which they never explain why. The plane is critical because it just happens and then they just go, oh, it was terrorists. And... Hmm. No mention of the seven being involved happens. Just like in the series, mm-hmm. no mention mm-hmm. of them being there. But in the series, Homelander uses it for his agenda. Right. He didn't plan on using it for his agenda. He realized in the moment, I can use this. Mm-hmm. We're going to draw so much material for this when we do Injustice. There's so much. Well, there this. just <laughs> needs to be a media component for Injustice. <laughs> ah, I still hold it's the best thing DC's done. 
love it so much. All right, Troy, what else you got to finish this off with? Did we want to talk about how Stillwell is gender-flipped? That was pretty interesting. It's a lot like Jessica Jones. Jerry. Jerry is gender-flipped in Jessica Jones to kind of the same effect. Right. I don't think it hurts the series in any way, shape, or form. No. They do a good job. To me, it's a character that's gender really doesn't matter. Right. But it was interesting for them to make it a female character. I really see in this series that they're trying to drive home the power that women have. Yes. It's a drastic difference from the comic where it was 20 years ago. It was a different world. It wasn't a better world and things have come a long way. But I, I like the fact that Stillwell's in control. She really feels she controls everything. And the same thing with Annie. Annie in this series takes control of her life and turns the tables on Stillwell, which does not happen in the comic. Right. And also the relationship between Mab and Annie is a little better. It's not as harsh no. as it is in the comic, even to the beginning. Yes. Yes. Queen Mab has an issue with Annie and that is established, but it is not as bad as it is in the comic. Well, in the comic... I think it takes longer to get to that. It, you still get to that point. But since in the comic, Queen Mab is basically drinking to forget. Yeah. And what you find out is she's drinking to forget pretty much back to the plane. Because that, even in the series, it was a point where you could see by the portrayal of the actress in the scene that the whole failure and that Homelander was willing to abandon all those people and she was trying to save them. Mm -hmm. It was a turning point for her. She never quite treats him or thinks of him the same since. In the comic, they have more of a history in... Again, it's something the series might pick up and show later. There's a whole lot that has not been covered that the comics talk about having happened in what have they covered already in the series. The whole Black Noir thing. Black Noir is a character in the comic that you really have to pay attention to, and he's a second thought in the series. Right. He becomes critical to the story in the comic. So I'm really curious where they're going with it. And the actor that's portraying him is a trained Taekwondo master. And they cast the female as someone who's also a martial artist. So I foresee a lot more action from the two of them. Nice. Being able to show off what they can do. Even in that brief moment we had where they were facing off. And Black Noir just owned her. Mm -hmm. Partly because she wasn't ready for him. But there's aspects to that character that I'm really curious where the series goes with him. Because he's so important for the long-term story. Do we have a date or a... like? Are we, are we expecting a season two out of the boys? Have we heard yes. anything yet? There is yeah, a season yeah. two. There there is were, a season they've been filming it. They yeah. actually had alter a scene because I believe the news story was they had the Homelander masturbating on the top of a skyscraper. The people went, tone it back. Dial that back. Di Just dial that back. I'm like, oh, okay. Come down off of 11. So we've heard from Jen already of Would You Keep Reading. Bear has kept already. I, I have already. Couldn't put them down. Like when we found out we were doing the boys and Troy was like, I have a ton of the graphic novels. I absolutely was like, how many you got? He was like, well, I'll give you the first five. I was like, sold. Troy has read all of them. Yep, I own all of them because <laughs> I was reading them as they were coming out. So I will say this is another one of those that's been on my shelf. I read the first graphic novel years ago, back when I was walking through probably my comic book store. And I was like, Garth Ennis? Derek Robertson? Whatever this is, I'll take it. <laughs> Usually yeah. what I do with anything Warren Ellis or Garth Ennis or... Don't forget to plug your comic book store. That's right. Which we have permission to plug them. Ooh. <laughs> so go and see Rob if you are in the Iowa area at limited edition. Eastern comics. Iowa area, yep. 
Yeah, well, no, I drive mean, across Iowa. Drive across it's Iowa. Iowa. Come over here. It's We're definitely fine. worth a visit. Yeah, yeah, go to Cedar Falls. It is a comic book store and hair salon. It is Wild Hair Salon. It is also a head shop in the basement. Rob is the type of guy that you will walk in. He will be very nice to you, and he'll be like, what do you like? And you'll tell him, and then you'll spend $300 in comic books that you've never heard of walking out the door. But you will be very, very happy. And the name of the store is Limited Edition. You did mention that, but you kind of said it, and it didn't sound like the name of the store. The store in Cedar Falls, Iowa, is Limited Edition. Limited Edition Comics. Limited Edition Comics. Right on College (laughs) Hill, across from the University of Northern Iowa campus. If you are in this area and you do not already go to him, walking in the door 20% off of every graphic novel in the store. That's just standard, because Rob's crazy. And if they Rob, don't have it, they'll order it for you. Yep. Um, Rob's also the kind of guy that's like, oh, is, yeah, is that, what, is that what you like? I'll, I'll cut you a deal on that if you get this, too. Yep. Yeah. The more money you spend, the less money you spend. That's not how it's, that works. It's called savings. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't spend $500. I saved $300. Right. Listen, I work right. in supply chain, which means that if you buy more at a discount, that's saving. Exactly. Right. In that case, it's other people's money and not mine. So as long as you're going to use it all, it's always saving. See? Exactly. But Rob also has statues and games. And board games. Board games. In addition to comics. Go for the comics. Stay for the games. They also (laughs) do the uh, the Pokemon League. Yes. And magic. And magic. Magic Magic Fridays. This has been the four-person plug for (laughs) limited edition. You should absolutely go there. We will probably keep a little bit of a plug. We don't get anything for it yet, Rob. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Say no more. I like board games. Well, Bear likes board (laughs) games. We won't talk about board games, but uh, you can give us some graphic novels to review. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Anybody else? Any closing notes? Read it. Love it. If you enjoyed this extra, extra edition of Graphically Novel, make sure that you're subscribing to us. Make sure that you're reviewing us. As of yet, we've gotten like two reviews, which is great. We would always love more. This has been Graphically Novel. Thank you for listening. And take it away, Vandello.
Let's see.